You are listening to the Faith Church Podcast. Learn more about our church at faithinchandler.com. We've looked at the first two chapters. We've seen Jonah receive this call from God to go to Nineveh. Instead of going to Nineveh to do what God asked, Jonah runs the opposite direction, goes down and catches a boat to Tarshish, which is in the opposite direction. And while he's in the boat, this massive storm comes. Ship's crew realizes that the only way that they'll be able to get out of this storm is if they throw Jonah overboard. He's thrown overboard, and God saves him through a giant fish that swallows him whole. And throughout Jonah chapter 2, we have this prayer that Jonah prays, realizing the error of his ways, the mess that he has made, and calling out to God to help him. So in Jonah chapter 3, we have the story of what takes place after Jonah is vomited up on dry ground. And those are the words of Scripture at the end of chapter 2, that the Lord spoke to the fish, and he vomited Jonah up on dry ground. And that's where we pick up reading in Jonah chapter 3 and verse 1. And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time, saying... If you're the type that you underline and highlight in Scripture, I'd encourage you to underline that last phrase the second time, saying, Arise, go unto Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid unto thee. So Jonah arose and went unto Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceeding great city of three days' journey. And Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey and cried and said, Yet forty days... And Nineveh shall be overthrown. So the people of Nineveh believed God and proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them even to the least of them. For the word came unto the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, and he laid his robe from him and covered him with sackcloth and sat in ashes. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed nor drink water. But let every man and beast be covered with sackcloth sackcloth and cry mightily unto God. Yea, let them turn everyone from his evil way and from the violence that is in their hands. Who can tell if God will turn and repent and turn away from his fierce anger that we perish not? And God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way, and God repented of the evil that he had said he would do unto them, and he did it not. In 2014, a man by the name of Reza Baluki, I'm not sure that that's how you pronounce his name, but that's his name, decided that he was going to attempt to run from Florida to Bermuda. Say, how is he going to do that? That's over the water. He constructed a large floating bubble that looked like a hamster ball that you'd put your little hamster in to run around the house. He stocked the inside of this hamster ball with supplies and set off. In just a couple of days, he was disoriented and exhausted, and he called the Coast Guard to ask for directions. Can you imagine calling the Coast Guard in the middle of the ocean and say, I'm trying to get to Bermuda, and I don't know which way to go? (laughs) They asked him to return and offered to rescue him, but he refused. Then two days later, he called the Coast Guard again and asked that they pluck him out of the water with a helicopter. He'd gotten caught in the Gulf Stream, Stream, and there was little chance that he was going to be able to break free and make his way towards Bermuda. The Coast Guard saved his life 
from the sea. He had a second chance at life. And he decided with that second chance, he was going to try again to make it from Florida to Bermuda in a giant floating hamster ball. Now, when the Coast Guard learned that he was planning to do this again, they begged him not to do it. They said, this craft is not seaworthy. You're not going to make it. You can't carry enough supplies in this thing to make it there. There's not enough oxygen in the ball. If you open it up, you're going to have air, water coming in. But nevertheless, he set out once again for Bermuda. And guess what? The Coast Guard had to come and rescue him a second time. And this time, they were not as happy. And they posted a photo of them rescuing, this time dragging his hamster ball back to shore. And they listed all of the costs that they had incurred in rescuing him twice. When I read this story... It reminded me of many times that I have watched as someone has been spared, but then returns again to their foolishness. You see, Scripture makes it clear that you're not a fool if you make a mistake, but that you are a fool if you refuse to learn from your mistake. All of us make mistakes. And Scripture even talks about how a wise man learns from his mistakes, but a fool refuses to learn from his mistakes and returns back to them. Proverbs 26.11 actually puts this kind of graphically. It says that like a dog returns to his vomit, so is a fool who returns to his folly. Now, if you've owned a dog, there's a good chance that you've seen this disgusting behavior that whatever it is that just made them sick and caused them to throw up, they're going to eat it again. Now, in even worse circumstances, Jonah got himself into a mess, and he was vomited up onto dry ground. But he learned from his mistake. He did not again try to test God's patience. This time, he went where God had sent him. And what we have here in Jonah chapter 3 is the record of him making good use of his second chance. I'm sure that we've all wanted a second chance before. Probably have all had an occasion where we wish that we could do an interview over again for that job. Wish that we could have another shot at that relationship. Wish we could go back in time and fix that moment that we lost our temper in front of everyone. We probably have all wished for a moment that we could have a second chance. But here Jonah gets his second chance. Because the opening verse in Jonah 3 is that the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. And what follows in verse 2 is a near quote for how the book of Jonah opens up. It's the exact same command that God had given Jonah in the beginning. You see, when Jonah gets his second chance, it's not just a second chance at life. It's a second chance to obey God. God not only saved Jonah, but also gave Jonah a second chance to obey him. It's almost as if here in 3, 2, chapter 3, verse 2, the whole book starts over again. When God plucks Jonah out of the sea with a fish and drops him back on solid ground, he's taking him back towards the plan that he had for Jonah all along. God didn't just save Jonah's life. And not only, gave, not only gave him a second chance at breathing, God gave him a second chance to do the right thing. And that's what he does for every one of us. 
He not only gives us a second chance at life, He not only shows us grace, but He gives us a chance to do it right. He gives us a chance to follow Him. The truth is that God works in the mess of this world through messy people. And so even though Jonah had made an absolute mess of things, God still wanted him to go to Nineveh. Now I think for most of us, we think, okay, God saved Jonah out of the sea. He can live out the rest of his life, but God's going to find somebody else to go to Nineveh, right? He's not going to have Jonah go preach at Nineveh. Jonah's a mess. I mean, Jonah is literally a mess. He's got seaweed in his hair. He smells like fish vomit. I mean, fish stink, but fish vomit has to really stink. And this is the guy that God wants to go to Nineveh to proclaim his message. And I'm afraid that we often have this this idea that God only uses people who bat a thousand to do his work. Or that he only uses people who have always done right to carry out his mission. What we have in Jonah chapter 3 is God using the person that we know to be the worst prophet ever. Jonah wasn't the ideal candidate. He was the exact opposite of the ideal candidate. But God calls him anyway. God uses messy people to do ministry. You know, at every run that I've ever been a part of, every 5K, every half marathon, there are always people who have just recently gone to the running store and spent a lot of money, right? They bought brand new shoes. They got brand new running gear. They got every running gadget and watch that they could buy. And then the race starts, and it's clear that this is the first time they've run. Because even though they look the part and they have all of the stuff, they haven't been running. The last time that I ran in a a race, I was passed by a guy wearing jean shorts. He didn't have what would be typically thought of as running gear, but he could run faster than me. And I'm sure the same is true for hunting, right? The people that have all of the gear, never been in the woods. Same is true for fishing. They got the nicest boat or rod and reel, never caught anything. And God doesn't look for someone who looks the part. God looks for someone that he has called, and he's calling Jonah even though he's an absolute mess. So when Jonah stood up there on the shore and squinted because he hadn't seen the sun in three days and he started pulling the seaweed from his hair, God delivers the message to him again. Jonah, go to Nineveh and preach to them the message that I give to you. Now I'll be honest, when I look out into the congregation this morning, I see a lot of messy lives, messy people. God's calling you, just like he called Jonah. Jonah did not look the part of a prophet. And Jonah did not get the call the second time because he was so qualified, but God called him anyway. Martin Luther said years ago, God uses crooked sticks to draw straight lines. God uses crooked sticks to draw straight lines. If you've made a mess of life, you've made many mistakes, God still wants to use you to make a difference. He's calling you. 
There is something that he would have you to do. There is some Nineveh, there is some message that he's giving to you to deliver. And there's some stuff that still needs to be cleaned up out of your life. There's some stuff from your past that you still smell like, but God wants to use you in his kingdom. He's got a calling, he's got marching orders, he's got a job for you to do. When I answered the call to preach, I decided to go and prepare for ministry by going to Bible college. It was the way that I felt like I was supposed to prepare for this calling that God had placed on my life. And in my sophomore year of Bible college, I messed around and got myself expelled from Bible college. Went to the disciplinary committee, and they said, the dean of men is going to escort you to your dorm room. You're going to pack all of your belongings. And you're going to leave the campus today. It was like that. It was, it was, that was it. And as I drove away from that campus back towards home, I started making phone calls to family to say, hey, I know you weren't expecting me, but I'm headed home. I really thought, I've blown it. I'm, I'm not going to do what I feel like God's called me to do. I, who's going to hire? Who's going to let me? But it wasn't long after that, God gave me opportunity to go and serve as an associate intern in Colorado. And through 10 weeks serving as this intern, this associate, I realized that God wasn't done with me yet. That I still had an opportunity to serve and make a difference. I still had the stink of those mistakes on me. But God gave me a second chance. Occasionally, I still get the, um, you don't look like a pastor. Now, I used to get it a lot more when I was younger. I don't get it as much now. One particular instance sticks out in my mind when Jean Helms was in the hospital and I went to, to see her and the doctor stepped in and said, oh, are you the grandson? And I said, no, I'm her pastor. And she went, really? <laughs> but you know, I've looked at my own life a lot of, way that, a lot, a lot of times that way. Really? I, I get to serve God and, and, and preach the gospel? Really? And I'm sure there are people that were hearing the story of Jonah that he had disobeyed God, been thrown in the ocean and swallowed by a fish, gets vomited up on dry ground, and the next lines are God came to him and said, Jonah, go to Nineveh. And people said, Really? Him? Jonah? Jonah listens this time. He goes to Nineveh. And in verse 4, we have this short, not so sweet, but simple message that he delivers. Jonah walks into the city and says, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Jonah's message was simple and clear. Judgment is coming. Eight words. That's all that he said. That's the summary that we have here of his message. It's pretty similar to the, the message that Jesus started proclaiming when he first started his ministry. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. In other words, there's a judgment coming. Simple and clear message. 
And the next few verses are remarkable because they say the people believed God and they called for a fast and put on sackcloth and ashes. And even the king gets serious and he gets converted. And we'll look at all of those in a second. But I want you to realize this incredible revival happens in the city of Nineveh because Jonah says eight words, one simple, clear message. Forty days from now, Nineveh is going to fall. Judgment is coming. The end is near. And people respond. A friend of mine was recently told by an older preacher, you're not a very strong preacher. And he was, he was hurt by that. And I said, are, are you going to be all right? And he said, no, as long as everyday people in my congregation understand the gospel clearly, that's what I'm called to do. You see, Jonah's message wasn't extravagant. It was simple and clear. Judgment is coming. I love a lot about Abraham Lincoln. But I love the scene of when Abraham Lincoln delivered the Gettysburg Address. You're probably familiar with some portion of the Gettysburg Address. But what many people don't realize is that when Lincoln got up to speak, he was following this famous, renowned orator, Edward Everett, who's known for these incredibly interesting, compelling speeches. And Edward Everett had just spoken for two hours. Not that the ceremony was two hours, but his portion of the ceremony was two hours. And he gave an incredible speech detailing the history of America and the battle there at Gettysburg. So after he speaks, Lincoln is following him. And Lincoln speaks for just a couple of minutes. 270 words that were clear and compelling and powerful. People were moved by it. And see, there's a lot of teaching and a lot of preaching that's interesting, but it's not compelling. There's a lot of oratory and, and speaking that, that is enjoyable to listen to, but it's not compelling. What Jonah's message lacked in flowery speech and beautiful stories, it made up for in its compelling message, the end is coming, prepare. Get ready. The judgment is coming one day. Jonah's message was simple, and when his simple and clear message was paired with what God was up to in the city of Nineveh, it was powerful. You see, if, if, we, if we share the simple truth of the gospel and it's paired with the power of the Holy Spirit, the work that God is doing in people's lives, the details that we can't even begin to fathom, but the Lord is using to bring people to Himself, when that message is paired with God's power, the, the change is incredible. And what happens in Nineveh is amazing. Verse 5 says, From the greatest to the least, everyone puts on sackcloth and ashes. You say, what does that mean? It means they put on the, the funeral garb or the garb of mourning. Everyone came to a place where they mourned the way that they'd been acting, the way that they'd been living. Everyone was sorrowful and sad for the violence and mischief that was in their hands and their hearts and their minds. Everyone was grieved over the way that they had been living. They heard that judgment is coming, and paired with God's work in their city and in their lives, they realized, we have made a mess of things. 
And they come to the same realization that Jonah had come to. I have got to quit going my own way and go God's way. I've got to turn from my, my evil and my wickedness and follow the Lord. What happens next is incredible. The conversion of this city of 120,000 people is amazing. And it happens because a simple, clear message from God is paired with His power and people are grieved over their sin. Grieved over what they've done. Friends, I, I want to present the gospel to you clearly and I want the Spirit of God to move in our midst. Like we just saying that the Holy Spirit would be welcome here, not only so that He can, can aid me in speaking these words to you, but that He can provide conviction in your heart so that you are grieved over those things that you have done, so that you recognize you need to turn from your sin and follow the Lord. This past week was the funeral for Billy Graham. He was called America's pastor. He's been referred to as the greatest evangelist of his generation. Over the past week, people have shared story after story of how their family was impacted because a grandfather went to a Billy Graham crusade years ago. Just this past week, I heard a pastor here in our area talk about his wife's grandparents were saved under the ministry of a man who was saved at a Billy Graham crusade and then went and started the church. Billy Graham's message was, was simple and clear. It was the gospel. And if you watch the funeral that they had this week, what was clear that was on the hearts of each of his children as they spoke was that they, in their eulogies of their grandfather, in this moment they had for people watching, that they would compel people to believe the gospel. That's what it all came back to, the message of the gospel. The end is coming. Judgment is coming one day. Prepare. God has offered His forgiveness through grace. Accept it. And so through this simple and clear message, God gave Nineveh a second chance. And just like God gave Jonah a second chance, He gave Nineveh a second chance. And just like God gave me a second chance, He wishes to give Chandler a second chance. And just like God gave you a second chance, He wants to give your family a second chance. Just like God saved you, He wants to save this region. He wants to save the lost. And God used Jonah in his second chance to offer a second chance to the people of Nineveh. And verse 5 is so great. Verse 5 tells us the response to Jonah's message. The people believed God. They didn't believe Jonah. They believed God. They took him at his word. They believed that he would destroy them if they didn't turn from their sin. They believed that they needed to be transformed. They believed that they needed the change. They truly believed. Now, we throw the word belief around a lot today. People will say, yeah, I believe in God. Yeah, I believe in God. And what they mean is, I believe in the existence of God. I believe that there is a God. And the reason for that is because in our culture, that's questioned. And so there, there are many people who say, I believe in God, and they're saying, I believe that there is a God. My question to you is not, do you believe in God, but do you believe God? Do you believe what He says? If somebody came to me today and said, 
Daniel, I believe in you. I would not take that to mean that they believe I exist. I would take it to mean they believe what I'm saying, what I'm doing, what I'm about. It's not just believing that there is a God. The Ninevites were incredibly religious. They had all types of gods that they worshipped, but they believed what God had to say. And I bet that if you're in church this morning, you believe that there is a God, but do you believe what God says? Do you believe what He's revealed about Himself? Do you believe what He revealed about the coming judgment? Do you believe what He revealed about the, the judgment for our sins, the punishment that we will face if we face Him without grace? Do you believe what He said? Not just that He exists, but do you believe what He said? See, there's a direct link between belief and action. Belief precedes action. We act based upon what we believe. We prepare for the things that we believe will happen. We act upon the truths that we've come to know. Belief precedes action. You know what I came to believe when I was, when I was a child? That my mom's side of the family never showed up on time for anything. So if Thanksgiving dinner was set for 2.30, I didn't make my way there till about 3. Because nobody else was going to be there. I came to believe nobody else is going to be there. Why head there now? Belief precedes action. It determines the things that we do, the way that we act. The Ninevites believed Jonah, and when they believed, they acted. Now, if they thought Jonah was just a crazy person, they wouldn't have done anything. But because they believed that this message was of the Lord, they acted. Now, their faith wasn't strong and their understanding was weak, but they believed enough to act, to respond. Look at the words of the king in verse 9. Who can tell if God will turn and repent and turn away from his fierce anger that we perish not? The The king says, I believe that judgment's coming, and I don't really know what to do. Jonah wasn't really clear about that part, but maybe God will repent. Maybe God will turn back. He didn't understand everything, but he knew he needed to do something. And you don't have to understand it all to believe in something. You don't need to understand everything about God to believe in this message. The king of Nineveh didn't understand, but he had a little bit of faith and a lot of desperation. And it may be that this morning you got a little bit of faith and a lot of desperation. If you put your faith and trust in him, it'll lead you to act. And you'll understand more. And you'll know more. And you'll believe more. But you can believe today. Belief precedes action. And then belief leads to action. The Ninevites have said, you know, we believe Jonah. And they just carried on as they normally did. They didn't really believe. But when their belief led them to grieve over the things that they had done, to fast, that demonstrated their belief. Their actions showed that they truly believed. Jesus said to his disciples, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. The actions of the people showed that they believed, that they knew that they had done wrong. And they were grieved at the things that they had done. They realized the error of their ways. 
the king goes so far as to say, let every man and every beast fast and put on sackcloth and ashes. Now, it's one thing for you to decide to fast. It's another thing that you're going to fast and all your pets are going to fast too. Can you imagine what that looked like, how that worked out? No dogs, no water, no food. The king wanted to make sure that all of their bases were covered. Did they need to make their animals fast? No. But his little bit of faith led to action. And even though he didn't understand everything yet, and even though he wasn't really clear, he said, we got to do something. Let's make sure that all of our bases are covered. Even the animals are going to fast. Even the sheep are going to fast. Even the cows are going to fast. I had a teacher in high school who told me that when he came to know Christ, that he knew that there needed to be major changes in his life. And so the, the, the week that followed, that Sunday where he had come forward and placed his hope and faith in Jesus Christ, when he went home, he said, there's got to be some big changes. So he threw, about, threw out everything just about that he owned. He got rid of his TV. He got rid of his record player. He's like, I don't think God likes these things, so I'm getting rid of them. And he's telling me this story. He goes, now, I own a TV today. I didn't need to throw out my TV. But in that moment, because he had put his hope and faith in Christ, he felt like it had to lead to something. There had to be some action. Something needed to be different in his life. This morning, God wants to make the difference in your life. He wants you to respond to this message that he shared to prepare. And you don't need to throw out your TV or your CD player, but you need to come to him. My teacher, and he told that story, he said, my parents lived in Michigan, and they got in the car and drove down to where I was at in North Carolina because they thought, he's joined a cult. He's joined some churches, forced him to throw away his record player. Especially, I don't, I don't really understand all this. Do you believe God? Do you believe what he said? Because what he said is that there is a judgment coming for all sin. But that God's grace through his son Jesus Christ can cover all our sin. So every mistake you've ever made and every mess you've ever made can be covered in Jesus. And the same God that saved Jonah out of his mess with a fish and save the Ninevites from their mess through the message of Jonah, wants to save you from your mess and your sin. Do you believe him? Not just do you believe in him, but do you believe him? Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer.